freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 353 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is update on events of January 6th. Our guest today is Paloma Capana. Paloma has been speaking and writing about the Second Amendment as a modern civil rights movement for nearly 15 years. In more than 25 years in state and federal courtrooms, Paloma has represented plaintiffs in groundbreaking civil rights litigation an award-winning activist and writer, Paloma chases the truth until it's treed. <laughs> and her latest work is a book entitled The Events of January 6, 2021. What impact the Second Amendment movement? Absolutely. Welcome back to the show, Miss Paloma. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Dan. Hi. How are y'all doing? We are doing well. Uh, I think almost anybody is doing better than the plaintiffs in all of this stuff going on with the January 6th, 2021 events around the Capitol building, wouldn't you say? Uh, better than any of the defendants being prosecuted by the DOJ, that is for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Um, plaintiffs, did I use the right word? Defendants defendants. Ah, see, this is why we have lawyers around, right? Uh, it would be nice if the, the others were, were having as rough a time. But uh, when we had you on back in August of this year, which it feels like it was just yesterday, so time has flown for us, uh, we were able to break down a lot of these details uh, that seem to lead to a reasonable conclusion for reasonable thinking people that on January 6th, people were targeted and then later arrested because they had specific uh, logos on their t-shirts, right? Certain clothing they were wearing that day. And secondly, that there were FBI agents in and around the Capitol that day, but they weren't trying to, you know, quell anything. They were actually ramping up, it seems, uh, the crowd to, uh, to egg people on to enter the building and otherwise misbehave in certain ways. Do I have that right? I think that you are correct about the clothing and the targeting. I think it remains to be seen exactly what happened with the FBI on January 6th. Mm -hmm. My working theory at this point, which now I can share, you know, it was sort of my working theory on January 6th, but now I think there's enough records and evidence coming forward to allow it to be shared. 
you know, my theory is that the FBI went into January 6th with an intention, as you say, to egg things on, to ramp it up, to see if they could trap and trip people up into engaging in what I would call low-grade criminal behavior. So pushy-shovey stuff, mm-hmm. kind of thing you really don't want your mother to see on the mm-hmm. six o'clock news. Mm-hmm. But what I think happened on January 6th was that it got completely out of hand. And you start to see the evidence of that as more of the defendants speak out about how the FBI was actually trying to handle them during the events. Mm -hmm. So on scene, we know that there were multiple confidential informants Mm -hmm. working for the FBI. The question is how many and what their actual role was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw on, you know, you see these people that got arrested, they found them by looking at videos and targeting and finding them. And then I saw a video just a couple of days ago where a guy was egging them on mm-hmm. and they're saying that he is an FBI agent and no one knows for sure. But the question is, why wasn't he arrested? Because he's clearly identifiable, mm-hmm. but well, he was some, not. Some of them were arrested. <laughs> so this, this is where it starts to get a little bit Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I can give you one specific example. So one of the defendants I've been following since just a few days after January 6th is a man named Thomas Caldwell. Initially, the DOJ accused him of being a member of the Oath Keepers. And Thomas Caldwell said, no, I'm not. In fact, I was an FBI section chief. The DOJ did not actually respond to those allegations. Now, normally in litigation, if a party says something as dynamic as claiming that they worked for the FBI, there is a response by the opposing attorney, in this case, the Department of Justice. In this case, too, a fraudulent claim of working for the FBI is a crime. Mm -hmm. So all the more reason why, as an attorney, you might imagine when Thomas Caldwell made his claim, I am just every day looking for the response by DOJ. Is this true? Then there's no response by DOJ. Mr. Caldwell's wife, who was side by side with him at the Capitol on the 6th, was never arrested. Hmm. And so I sent off a freedom. Yes, especially considering considering there are other husband and wife couples just in my very small group that I'm hyper-studying who are arrested jointly and brothers and sisters arrested jointly. So, you know, there's, there's not like a one member of your family satisfies all sort of exclusion going on here. So I sent a freedom of information request off to the FBI to say, well, is he or isn't he an employee? Mm-hmm. And the FBI came back with, we can neither confirm. <laughs> Sorry, it's so great face. I apologize. I I practiced delivering this line. I haven't delivered it straight yet. (laughs) But we can neither confirm nor deny, you know, that that Mr. Caldwell has any file at the FBI. Um, And so I have taken an appeal of that. And I am arguing that he has waived any right to privacy. He may have been able to assert by virtue of his claiming in this public case that he worked for the FBI. So put Thomas Caldwell in one basket. In another basket, we have some defendants who have already settled their case. Now, a couple of those defendants who already settled had not even been arraigned by a grand by the courts, had not had an indictment by a grand jury. 
They simply appeared the same day they settled. Very strange. Mm -hmm. uh, not at all typical for how the prosecutions are running concerning January 6th defendants. So, you know, I had sort of my eyeball on two of them in particular. Then along comes the arrest of Mr. Jeremy Brown. Okay. Now, Jeremy Brown of Florida says the FBI contacted him after the December MAGA rally to recruit him to become a confidential informant for events to take place in January. So this is before January. Yes. This yes. is. So they knew it was coming. December, in December. Yes. Now, wow. having been 17 years a Green Beret, mm -hmm. Mr. Brown asked for their permission. It's part of the recording and he recorded the entire conversation. Mm -hmm. So yes, that, that is actually what they say to him. So imagine Mr. Brown is now in his car to drive from Florida to Washington DC for the events of January 6th. Mm -hmm. In the car with him is another unnamed male who reports to the FBI on Mr. Brown at the same time that Mr. Brown is going to the Capitol for the FBI. On behalf of the FBI. This is, yeah, interesting. All right. So think about how sloppy the entire, or desperate is probably the, the more true word here, the FBI is to actually make a mess mm -hmm. on January 6th, right? It's not enough that freedom-loving patriots could go to hear President Trump deliver a final address near the White House. Mm -hmm. No, no, they can't simply leave it at that, mm -hmm. right? There's nothing that happens at the ellipse. There's nothing that happens the entire length of an approximate 40-minute walk from the ellipse to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, the FBI is calling on the telephone people like Mr. Brown, and second in command of Proud Boys, he had already come forward and said, yes, my FBI handler was trying to figure out where I was in the mess. And these men are saying, yes, the FBI is calling them saying, where are you standing exactly? Are you on the grass? Have you entered the building? So I do start to think that we're starting to get some proof that comes into my theory of things just got completely out of hand. I think the FBI completely misjudged a, the people that they lined up with authorization to break the law, which mm -hmm. the FBI handlers can individually do at a low grade of criminal activity to their CIs. And then just the mood in general, right, mm -hmm. of the American people who are law abiding, who are freedom loving, who are fearful of what is happening with elections. Mm -hmm. And you end up with January 6th. So let me ask you, uh, specifically Jeremy Michael Brown, um, did he believe that he was going there as, you know, a helper of the FBI? Like, you know, or did he know he was going in there to be a rabble rouser? Like, what do you think was on his mind as mm -hmm. he's saying, my FBI handler is calling me and asking me questions in real time as I'm on the grounds? So handler is the word that I am using contact is the word that he used, mm -hmm. that it was the same agents who spoke with him in December. But as a litigation attorney, nearly 30 years in courtroom, I really miss the opportunity to cross-examine people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the idea that you can issue a subpoena, get them into a courtroom, put them under oath and, you know, mm -hmm. ask questions is a tool I don't have in the current situation. So what I would say is that I took 
a very long time to carefully go through a two hour interview that he did where he shares these recordings. And I would say that he's very intelligent and chooses words carefully. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on some level, you almost have to draw your own conclusion, mm -hmm. but it's one of these cliffhangers where mm -hmm. as freedom of information requests go out from me, I've got more than 25 out currently. Mm -hmm. uh, as some of those come back, as they are starting to come back, as appeals of those go out. And frankly, if any of these cases would ever start trial, mm -hmm. there is not a single case yet from January 6th, more than 685 people charged, not a single witness has been sworn in yet in a court of law in America to try to resolve the facts concerning any of these charges. So Kevin and I are ready to you know, pack up and go to Washington and literally spend the money on a hotel and sit in on some of these trials live so that I can get truly unedited uh, impressions from what's going on and, and report it out. But the soonest trial date that I am aware of to be scheduled is end of April. Wow. Oh, is that normal? Gosh. No, yeah. no. In fact, the courts must keep issuing speedy trial rule extensions. So it's a year and four months after yes. the actual event. I don't know at what point that various people were um, taken into custody or charged or oh, those oh, some as some as soon as within a week mm -hmm. and they are still held over in prison like over Jessica Watkins so they're still in jail yeah there, there's approximately 40 defendants in jail and one of the earliest is Jessica Watkins she was arrested the following week and she has remained in prison since then and what what is her special crime Miss Jessica Watkins you know, you're going to get dead air time from me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean that as an attorney with the New York Code of Professional Responsibility hanging over my head to always instill faith in the judicial system. I have faith in the judicial system. Mm -hmm. I do not have faith, however, in the prosecutorial discretion of the USDOJ. I think that Michael Sherwin, who was the lead attorney at the time, made clear on 60 Minutes his intention to shock and awe America mm -hmm. by arresting as many people as humanly possible and getting them charged with crimes. Mm -hmm. That office has continued to change the crimes with which they are charging defendants. I mean, Jessica Watkins is now on her fifth superseding indictment. That's how many times this thing has changed since January. They, they can't even figure out what, what to, to try to charge her with. It's like, you know, a handful of spaghetti, poof, at the wall. Yeah. And if it doesn't yeah. stick, you throw another handful. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's really quite a melee in the DOJ office is mm -hmm. my essential and very pointed criticism. Mm -hmm. And if the, these defendants never end up going to trial, if these defendants continue to take a plea deal, which we, mm -hmm. we have some that have, yes. then we, the American people may never get to hear the cross-examination and, and learn these finer details that you're talking about. Is that true? That is a possibility. So 
more than 90% of cases in the stable of any attorney will settle. That's mm-hmm. uh, just really even, and, and I'm heavy on the litigation side. I bring cases for plaintiffs that we intend to take through to the end. Mm-hmm. But then you also have a percentage of cases where people simply can't continue them. Mm-hmm. So you might get an adverse ruling and they don't take an appeal or people who discontinue a little different on the plaintiff side. It is equally possible that less than 1% of these cases would ever go with a full record up on appeal. So reaching a three judge panel at an appellate court level to actually Mm -hmm. create law. And much to my sadness, I think the probability is not a single one of them will reach the United States Supreme Court. The reason is these are essentially garden variety crime charges. So like a trespass, like a B&E, uh, destruction of property, um, you know, assault, allegations concerning an officer. So you have to ask yourself, well, where really is the money for us as the public on these cases? We will get some that will go to trial. There will be some information that we will get during that testimony. The trickier bit concerning these cases is that all of the discovery is sealed Hmm. under seal of court order. So imagine if you will, that inside the US Capitol, we learned last week, there are 515 CCTVs. Yeah, they were all turned off maybe that day? What's going on with that? Well, they still have not turned it all over to defense counsel. So the DOJ, since January 6th, has hired two private contractors to try to build platforms to upload all of the electronic materials that they have. Mm -hmm. So not just building cameras, but officer body cam, Mm -hmm. all of the data given to them by Facebook and Twitter and Parlay, TikTok, you know, all of these social media accounts, everything they've gotten from telephone providers. I mean, I would say right now, probably 90% of the evidence that is actually typed out that we can see in various court documents comes right out of the defendant's phones, Hmm. right? So if there's ever a reason to go back to a landline and talking to your neighbor across the fence, this is the minutes in the history of activism nationwide where you say, go back to having the in-person conversation. So you're not saying that somebody has transcribed a video that someone took on their phone. You're not saying that no. you're saying that somebody had their phone in their pocket, right. Or whatever. A lot of people taking selfies, a lot of people taking selfies, Ashley Babbitt, right. Putting up a live video for about mm-hmm. 24 seconds as she walked along the Avenue before she entered the Capitol building. Right. And you know, that's what we've got as a last shot of her smiling is that selfie video. So all of that information, whether or not somebody deleted it, Mm -hmm. news to the Mm -hmm. listeners, just in case you don't understand how these social media platforms work, even if you think you've deleted it, the company still hosts it in their servers. Mm -hmm. So you're not looking at it. You and I are friends. My -hmm. friends might not be looking at it, but it doesn't mean that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't still own it. Right. And have it to turn over to DOJ. 
Understood. So at this point, defense counsel still does not have all of the materials available to the DOJ. And as of last week, in the 23 cases that I follow very intensely, the Department of Justice told the presiding judge, Judge Maida, we can't even give you a date by which we think we can give it to defense counsel. Wow. So, and you know, at some point, I'm hoping defense counsel will make a motion to dismiss, right, for failure to prosecute. Uh, is, is, I think I have reached, and I've got a pretty long leash when it comes to understanding that court can be so much slower than a one-hour TV show, like Law mm -hmm. & Order. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I've got patience for those steps. I know what those steps are. I am myself slow and deliberate as an attorney, but even I have absolutely reached the end of my patience yes. with the fact that we have people in jail mm -hmm. since their arrest. We have people on home arrest with monitoring systems who are not permitted to leave their home. One of the defendants, Connie Meggs, actually had to motion the court for permission to go to church oh, wow. so that she could get back to go into her church once a week. Oh, now, wow. the DOJ did not oppose that. That may be the only thing to their credit in these 23 cases, because yeah. recently when another of the defendants had a terminally ill family member, they didn't get the order done in time and his mother died without his being able to see her. Oh. Loma, it reminds wow. me of like what it was in Russia where somebody would knock on your door, take you and, and put you in jail and no one knew why. Yes. You know, and, and that happened a lot. And, and, and to see this lady in jail for all, all this time, mm -hmm. I can't, I can only think that what's going to happen and the FBI are going to get caught in this, this, what it conspiracy, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And then they're going to go to her and they're going to plea with her so that this can't ever go to the public. It's going to be sealed. So right. no one's going to, the FBI is not going to get hurt because they're going to all settle. And these people that are in jail are going to go, I'll do anything to get out of jail. Well, I mean, and you talk to the average person about what happened with Governor Whitmer in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And they say, why? What happened? Right. As opposed to more than a dozen agents led the plot to kidnap the female governor of a state in the United States. There's no women's groups making noise about this. Well, why didn't you pick on, you know, right. the governor of Florida or something, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no pushback at all. I mean, people somehow think it's almost funny. You talk about Fast and Furious mm. and people say, oh, I'm a little fuzzy on that. Yeah, I got some vague recollection, right? That the ATF kind of bungled that. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel in some ways looking at Mr. Brown's interview as I was listening to it, I felt like this was Fast and Furious part do, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we've lost our assets. Mm -hmm. Have they entered the building? We don't have authorization for them to do that level of breaking and entering. We forgot, you know, to mm -hmm. get authorization for the higher crime mm -hmm. to be committed. And it's not to say that there isn't also a simple element of criminality that went on January 6th. Look, there was a lot of noise going into January 6th. Even Mark Zuckerberg is having to answer some questions for shareholders which my way of looking at capitalism in a democracy is actually a higher calling than having to answer to Congress. Um, <laughs> and it did also attract some criminal element 
So of the people who I am tracking very closely, the people who are accused, if you will, of being oath keepers, members of the militia, you know, that America needs to fear, you really don't see criminal background. You know, a couple of pushy, shovey things at two o'clock in the morning and the local uh, police or sheriff have responded and said, everybody just go home sort of thing. But nobody who's actually served federal time mm-hmm. or who has been a defendant in the federal system or who has been accused of murder. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that type of a, a group when I'm trying to look at who is on the lighter side of what get caught up in it. But you do have some where as I start to look a little bit more into this question of who was right at the front of this line, who was actually in some of these more vile photographs mm-hmm. or snippets of video, you know, mm-hmm. who are those defendants? Um, there definitely are some that have a background where they don't have the kind of stability factors that you like to see. For example, if I'm interviewing someone who might be a plaintiff in a case, you know, you want to see someone who's married, who has a job, who pays taxes, a homeowner, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to someone who might be divorced, single, you know, multiple interpersonal relationships, several interstate moves, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's still going to take a little bit of time to tweeze out some of what it is that the FBI really bungled on January 6th. And then that really gets us to the bigger question. Well, okay, but who directed the FBI to do this operation in the first place? So that for sure, uh, I doubt we're ever going to fully know, but it would be wonderful if we do. But that's the Pulitzer Prize piece, right? Yeah. I mean, Cheryl and Dan, it shocks me that there aren't more journalists chasing the truth about right. January 6th. They might be I afraid mean, to. This is bigger than Watergate. Yeah. They this might is be afraid bigger to. than Watergate. Absolutely. And you you might be correct, Dan. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you just kind of want to come back around and, you know, we glossed over the Governor Whitmer thing in Michigan. There might be people listening and watching who are completely oblivious to what we're even talking about. Uh, there was a kidnap plot, mm-hmm. right? This. Yes. Somebody somewhere was going to kidnap the governor of Michigan, who is Gretchen Whitmer. So the fact that the FBI, there were more FBI agents involved in this plot than there were just citizens. And then you take that and you look at this, the stuff that happened around the January 6th events and you go, were, were any citizens ever going to do these things? or Mm-hmm. Were these things even dreamed into being and then pushed forward by mm-hmm. federal agents? Right. Right. Like what happened to Fast and Furious. Exactly. Like what happened, what happened with Fast and Furious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which isn't just a movie about cars. No. Right. 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 Uh, some people don't even know what that's about, but that was where the FBI would approach um, the DOJ and FBI and all that you know. w- would approach small mom and pops gun shops like mm-hmm. ourselves. If we were approached, we were, you know, we would never have participated in something like that, no matter how they tried to dress it up in red, white and blue. You're mm-hmm. helping your country. Right. That is just not right. something we would have participated in. But uh, they told these 
small mom and pop shops owners, Hey, this person, uh, really can't own a gun, but we're going to go ahead and let them, we're going to exactly. go ahead and let them leave with the firearm that they're purchasing. And, and that's one of the, a good thing for your country. And then yes. in fact, we were small asked mom to do and that. pops. You don't remember people, that. We were asked to do that. I don't know if it was during that time frame, but we have been asked yeah. to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and we did not participate. Uh, but the small mom and pops were the ones that got hung out to dry and the bad press yes. and on and on and on. So and then again, how many firearms were actually lost, exactly. right? And, and then, even crossed the border to Mexico and several of them by virtue of serial number and ballistics identification were actually used in crimes. Absolutely. And uh, border and you know agent Brian Terry, I believe is the name, right. was actually murdered uh, mm -hmm. by someone who was wielding one of those firearms. Do you know how hard yes. it is when somebody from the ATF agent comes and asks you to do something for them and you don't want to do it? Do you know how hard it is to say no? Mm -hmm. Because there are there are consequences to saying no. Mm -hmm. There for are. For sure, for sure. So, and these people, I, I just can't help but think, okay, so you get a guy that says, oh, I hate that governor Whitmer, I hate her. And he's right. like, okay, you know what? Hey, we could do this. And it's he had no idea to do that, but but he said he didn't like her so they pushed him into doing something and it it's also i think an underestimation of how much social media has started to train us mm. so when you think about the old-fashioned 1980s era conversion of a street citizen into a confidential informant it's really psychological operations as you say and cheryl that's exactly the script we need you to help us out for your, you know, it's for the good of the country. Mm -hmm. And there's a bad guy out there. And in the Cold War timing with Russia, and we're teenagers and college kids and grad students, you know, it felt easier to say, ah, that's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Ruskaya, right? Mm -hmm. Amerikanka. Good, good, right? Mm -hmm. Now, probably even saying that much, there's some State Department person going, oh, she tripped an algorithm. Hooray, we finally got her. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but oh, yeah. it's it's not so clear sort of in the post 9-11 and concurrent rise of social media America where people are looking for likes and angry faces and little hearts. You know, we're getting conditioned to do this just instant emotional trigger mm -hmm. that when you listen to Mr. Brown talk through the conversation he had with the two FBI agents, you know, he pulls it apart and he says, listen to this key phrase. This is exactly what they want me to do. When the FBI agent is saying, well, we just want to close our file on you. We have a list of 19 people and, you know, we just want to check you off. We don't really think there's anything here. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's that instant. Yes. You know, Pavlovian mm -hmm. response of, I want to get the passing score. I want to do the right thing. And I think even for Mr. Brown, without his even realizing it, as he's talking in the interview with the FBI agents, he completely violates all personal boundaries. He starts giving all kinds of personal information mm -hmm. that actually goes straight into the checklist of destabilized individual criteria, talking about a divorce, talking about an order of protection, not one, but two that his ex-wife has against him and that he can't see his children. And I'm sitting watching this whole thing because he's narrating a 
tape of this conversation. And even with the hindsight of about five months at that point, he still isn't realizing mm. how he fell so easily. 17 years of Green Beret, and he still fell easily for the FBI. So imagine the average Joe. Oh, yeah. One of the defendants who has settled, 19 years old from Florida. Oh, wow. 19. What defense mechanisms does he have? What sense of history? And the FBI going into all kinds of organizations over the decades, from the American Indian Movement to Earth Liberation Front, dating all the way back to its very origins to fight the socialist scourge going into World War I. So the FBI has always been paranoid of Americans (laughs) and has managed every 50 or so years to just make a mess out of things. Mm -hmm. But this may be the biggest mess they've ever made. So Paloma, can you tell me, some of the people that settled, what kind of agreements did they make on those settlements? So there's about 50 people who have settled so far. And I did a deep analysis of the first 25 who settled. Nobody has really received any, if you will, significant sentence yet. Uh, One judge just last week said he was going to be tough and gave about four years of probation. My understanding is that the USDOJ approach that they are actually mentioning publicly is that they want to clean out the low cases, clean out the little people and get concentrated. Now they're still arresting people and still arresting them on low grade charges. So I'm not completely sure what that strategy actually looks like. But then you get four out of the 20 that I am tracking. And those four have received the worst deals of any of the defendants by far. All four of them contain an extra four pages in the plea deal versus the other defendants. And in particular, this paragraph nine that converts all four into being a covert operative of the government with no expiration date. Wow. So they have to work for the government and do undercover work. Indentured servitude is what that sounds like to me. A sentence longer than they were actually facing, even if they were fully convicted on on a 30-year felony. I mean, if you're 19 years old, that makes you 49. But if you're 19 and you take this deal, the rest of your life, bud, there's no expiration date in this plea deal. Wow. That's, it just is so chilling when you stop Mm -hmm. and think about it. And it it does, you know, we keep talking about, you know, communism and, and how, how it smacks of that. And I just keep thinking about East Berlin, you know, Mm -hmm. that that is exactly, you know, we go back now, we can open the books and we know how things went and it was neighbor telling on neighbor. And it was, you know, just to try to to have some sense of normalcy, some sense of a, a life, uh, yes. you would you would turn in somebody in your own household in a lot, yes. of, a lot of times. In fact, I'm just, I'm reaching for this mug behind me. So this is a mug that I just had made up and on the back of it, so the, if you're lefty, it's facing you, but uh, 273,000 called the FBI will you make the call? So it's asking, are you bothering even to make one phone call to oppose a particular piece of legislation that I'm hoping everybody will step up to do? I mean, 273,000 people called the FBI and the calls are still coming in. 
to turn to in on their neighbors family members in their own household to turn in immediate family members to turn in neighbors to say in the case of one gentleman well i saw him with a gun yeah in right. none of the cases that i am looking at where a person was a pre-existing firearms owner so prior to january 6th no person had an illegal firearm in their house mm-hmm. any firearm they had was purchased legally they are now in inventory or transferred to another family member or third party trusted as approved by the court. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, Judge Maida keeps asking the DOJ, well, now that you've gone in on these warrants, are there any outstanding ATF purchases? And the DOJ attorneys keep saying, oh, we don't know. We'll get back to you on that. And for months, nobody at the DOJ has come forward saying, we've got a 4473 here for, for example, a double-barreled shotgun that wasn't recovered when we executed on the warrant, and we've asked him where it is, and he says he can't remember. There's none of that. Hmm. So I think the DOJ simply does not want to step forward and say, yeah, we've managed to arrest 21 law-abiding gun owners, Mm -hmm. right? Not that every single person owned a firearm, but where there were firearms in the house, they were lawfully owned. And so that, as we start, you know, winding up for today, that is one of the things that I am, am curious about, you know, even the title of your book, what impact basically on the Second Amendment movement do the events of January 6th have? And, um, you know, there were no guns at the Capitol except by the, the ones wielded by the Capitol Police, as far as I'm aware, even yes. this many months later. No firearms um, charges no firearms charges. Mm -hmm. You're saying that everyone involved in these cases had legally owned, no one had any illegally owned firearms. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the two things should not even be used in the same sentence, it seems to me. So that's the narrative. That is the narrative. That is what the DOJ, that is what the FBI, that is what Speaker Pelosi, that is what the major media is simply determined, determined that America will believe about January 6th is that organizations like the Oath Keepers need to be eviscerated and greater gun control is warranted. Right, even though they didn't use a gun, they still want to. The only firearms discharge was Michael Byrd in what I'm going to characterize as murder with a little M, he was not charged, but the murder of an unarmed female Standing in a group of 10 people, and we know my observation is correct because I now have the DC Metro interviews from January 6th of the officers. So, unarmed woman, group of 10, Michael Bird fires directly into a group mm-hmm. with three uniformed officers next to that group. You could have had a through and through. I mean, oh, you yes. own a gun shop, you are both gun owners. It's not a situation where you or I ever would have fired because no. there was no clear shot to be had there. And what we also now know is that behind Bird is another 14 officers in that back hall, each one of them armed. Yes. And I don't know who this Michael Bird is. He's what did the, he do? He's, you go ahead, Paloma. He shot and killed Ashley Babbitt on January 6th at 1446 p.m. 
inside the Capitol. She's the only one who was killed that day. And he was a citizen. That he was in? a Capitol Police. Oh, oh, he was a Capitol Police. Uh, he, shot police. Into a cra- he shot Thank, into a crowd. Blood. Yes. And in the, the video that, that I, I've really only seen one or maybe two vantage points, maybe There's two different, two different angles, two different videographers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of them from the uh, 550 closed caption TVs that are in the Capitol, mind you, these are just people with their cell phones taking video, but there were people with the black helmets and, and all the gear and the AR-15s standing behind this woman who was just shot from the front. And right. I kept going, well, who are these people? Are they bad Those guys are, dressed up? Like what no, was happening no. so at what the we time? Know. Yeah. And and so now we've learned, no, those are more capital police. Right. This guy could have easily could have murdered them as well. So Bird, who right. was a who was a police officer, mm-hmm. capital mm-hmm. police officer, shot. Mm-hmm. Why did he shoot? Were there people coming after him? What was the reason why he fired? No, he is there is a hallway with doors and transom glass spanning the entire width of the hallway. Uh So Bird and we now know 14 other armed officers are down that hallway. There's about 10 people trying to get through those doors. And at a certain point, the safety glass, which had only been crackling, essentially gives out. I do believe acoustically that there is a question whether it is his shot that causes it to give out mm-hmm. as opposed to the glass itself giving out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, Cheryl, we don't have as many available camera angles as might mm-hmm. be available. So stay tuned for sort of multiple views of that. Mm-hmm. In any event, Ashley had crossed the plane of the wood frame. So a mm-hmm. part of her body five foot four, about 120 pounds, maybe soaking wet uh, in a Mm -hmm. ski jacket. Mm -hmm. And the other officers in the hallway with Bird all testified to DC Metro that it was clear she had nothing in her hands, that she was unarmed. Clearly no one else in the group was armed because anyone else in the group did not so much as touch any of the other officers that were Mm -hmm. surrounding them. In fact, several people put their hands up. The USCP riot team stepped into the hallway almost simultaneously with Bird firing. So those 10 people, we are simply lucky that all 10 of them weren't gunned down. I mean, that that is my, now that I've read through the DC Metro report, uh, including all those officer interviews, I would say that we're really lucky, quite frankly, that the other people were able to walk away from the situation. DC Metro Police comes from behind where Ashley Babbitt was shot, so behind USCP riot. And DC Metro officers say they simply cleared the group. Mm-hmm. Now, I would imagine they were a bit startled at that mm-hmm. point. And you know, the, the camera footage stops before we get to see that. Yeah, but yeah. they say, you know, that the, the people simply cleared the hallway. Well, we're fortunate that it didn't create an eruption of right. you know confusion and crossfire and you know so what uh, happened to bird oh he's nothing good nothing by by middle april the department of justice issued a formal release that he would not be prosecuted for civil rights violation 
USCP has announced it conducted an internal investigation that it will not release. Mm -hmm. And at this point, there is an attorney for the estate of Ashley Babbitt who is suing and trying to get records. So um, Judicial Watch and myself, in fact, I just put up today records that I received from DCOME, the Office of the Medical Examiner, concerning Ashley Babbitt and the other individuals who died at the Capitol that day. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so right now there's about short of 3,000 pages that have mm -hmm. been released, mm -hmm. but not one of those pages is from USCP. So mm -hmm. Judicial Watch has sued them for what they are after, and I will be suing them shortly as well. USCP well, is taking the position that they don't have to respond to FOIA. They are exempt. Right. That is not right. a correct reading of the statute. Well, it shouldn't be a correct reading of the statute. Um, well, I don't know, but you know, if a police officer shoots somebody that's coming after him with a knife at five feet away, then the police officers hung and, you know, no trial, no nothing, just they want to crucify dry, him. Right. But then, and I don't know the case, what happened to the Capitol. This is new to me, so I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like it might be a little bit excessive force. You know, if there was that many police officers there mm -hmm. and there was only 10 people coming in the building, I don't know that that would have been a proper, proper judgment. Yeah. So the, yes, and I mean, Dan, you'll appreciate this as a gun shop owner. Part of what I'm after and part of what I've been submitting my FOIA for is what is the firearm that he used mm -hmm. and what is the ammunition that he used? Mm -hmm. And my suspicion is he must have used hollow point, hmm. right? I, I mean, I just, I don't see how, first of all, there was a you don't end up with a through and through. Yeah. Um, and I don't see how any officer would shoot into a crowd of that density, including three uniformed officers who right. were not USCP, mm -hmm. right? How, how would you in your right mind mm -hmm. actually discharge a firearm in that group setting unless you were counting on something like hollow point to simply hit your target? Right. Now, how she ends up dying of a single gunshot wound to the shoulder to me still also Whoa. is, yes. Yes, the autopsy finding is murder, and the autopsy finding is single anterior left shoulder. And they call her death at 1515 at the hospital. So I'm, I'm still at a loss. I'm still trying to pursue detail, but at least I got down to the minute to minute. So I had requested the records of the actual tracking of the body from place mm -hmm. to place. And mm -hmm. you come down to a 25-minute differential between that shot going off and the declaration at the hospital that she's called as deceased. Hmm. And do we have and, any, any record that she maybe is one of the FBI <laughs> informants? Cause it could be anybody, right? It could be. And if you look through the judicial watch pages that they got back from OME, so it's about 500 plus pages tucked in there are three pages from Department of State concerning visa. And tucked in there is JTTF communication with Prince George's County, Maryland. So I've already sent off the FOIAs to try to tweeze that apart because those records aren't making any sense to me. We know she was a veteran. We know mm -hmm. she served tours. So she's she's got that military background and training. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Cheryl, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, she got on a plane in, in California by herself and crossed the country to hear the president speak. Mm -hmm. and I've watched that 
selfie video of hers now for how many months, right? Maybe a total of 20 times, very short. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see anything there that leads me to believe that she was angry that day or out to get anybody that day or I I just I don't see it in her face or her eyes I I just don't I have not watched that I need to look that up if it's even still available was there any video was there any video after she got shot that they were giving her medical aid or I mean she shot in the shoulder Shot the shoulder. And so to Cheryl's question, you can go to my website, 2ampatriot.com. There's a blog. The title is 1515. Mm-hmm. And it's actually got a hyperlink to her okay. video. It is still up because a couple people uploaded it across to their sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Dan's question, I am still at a loss about that specific question myself. There is one still photograph in circulation of the three SWAT officers over her body, one applying pressure to the left area. So I'm assuming the wound site, but it's not as if there's any blood underneath her. It's not as if there's any blood spurting up, you know, to indicate there was some kind of an artery, you know, it's not coming up with that. Oh, this is so macabre for your listeners. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, golly. Talk about stop the bleeding. Oh, gosh. You know, so yeah, you're fine. But but analytically, Mm -hmm. you know, it it does matter from the standpoint that this can't turn into the Kennedy assassination, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We, We do need to get to a point and a place in time where like persons who have loved ones shot by police officers during their tour of duty. Do we get to look at and discuss autopsy findings? Mm -hmm. Right now, OME's position is that's private for the family only. And the family has not released it if in fact they have it. Mm -hmm. There's no photographs released. So I've been trying to chase something that I was hoping OME and uh, DC Metro will find less offensive. I'm trying to chase the ballistics. So I know now from the DC Metro records that there was a single bullet recovered and that a DC Metro officer was at the autopsy conducted January 7. So as I said a couple of minutes ago, I'm chasing what is the type of ammunition, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that part of the answer to this question? You know, was it something that moved within her? and mm-hmm. severed an artery internally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're simply not seeing a bleed out because the yeah. wound site is so small. So yes. well, being so I, close, I mean, I'm not, a, I don't play a doctor on TV and I'm not one, but being <laughs> right. so I am close, not either disclaimer, right, but, but being close to the heart and mm-hmm. with a hollow point or uh, a mm-hmm. low density, I guess they call it bullet could have mm-hmm. caused excessive pressure to the heart or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, but, but Go it ahead. just seems weird to me that, you know, people get shot in real serious places yes. they survive and this lady gets shot in the shoulder right so i yeah, i don't crazy. know I, it, this, then, this whole thing you know we want to believe in the justice system but how do we do that when we have an fbi and a department of justice operation mm-hmm. the way we have it right now well we believe in it in this sense every four years we get a chance for a new president and the president actually is the person who puts in your directors i surprisingly have pretty good faith 
in the current FBI director. Now, don't everybody click off of this broadcast because I just said that. I just did. But, but, but watching, watching the testimony of Director Christopher Wray very early. So the only hearings where I really find any validity concerning January 6th, and I've been tracking them all, are the first ones that were conducted uh, the end of February. Director Ray's testimony, then Assistant Director Jill Sanborn, and one of the DHS uh, intelligence analysts, uh, Smith Lova. They were just very credible that they don't know much about the Second Amendment movement here in America. What does it mean? Does it have any relationship to the neo-Nazi, which is, if you will, in America, the classic DVE or domestic violence extremist. So, you know, the, the term's been around a while. The Ku Klux Klan, of course, precedes everything that happened January 6th. But when you reach congressional hearings where I'm listening to members of Congress equate a law-abiding gun owner with the KKK, mm-hmm. and that person happens to be South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, mm-hmm. It is not only time for term limits. Yes. It is time for Second Amendment supporters to stand up and run for office. Yes. Representative Green won, and she is figuring out how to get the job done, right? Absolutely. She went to the D.C. prisons to try to gain access to prisoners to find out their condition. She went in a suit, and when they asked her to put on a face mask, She simply did it. Mm -hmm. She did not allow, if you will, anything to get in the way of the primary mission. Right. And so we have that wonderful 25 minute video showing political prisoners. Yes. No access permitted to four members of the United States House of Representatives. Now we go from that date to October 13, before we get an order from Judge Lambert. Finding the warden and the director of DC prisons in contempt of court in the case of Christopher Worrell mm-hmm. and directing the United States Attorney General's office to investigate the condition of all, all January 6th defendants. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, in terms of replenishing your faith in our system, Judge Lambert, nominated by President Reagan, himself a veteran, former JAG Corps, I mean, his credentials are just phenomenal. He totally went the distance. He had one defendant in front of him, Christopher Worrell. Mm -hmm. And he went the distance for every defendant in prison. So there's still hope. hope. Absolutely there is. (laughs) We have got to wrap for today. I know we have to, I'm sorry. Um, But we are definitely going to continue to follow these stories why don't and we this just go journey. to her house and talk to her i know we'll just Man. we'll just oh, let's the do, camera let's on do our a field trip <laughs> i love it i'll meet you in sedona yes oh, nice. i love that all right miss paloma a capana thank you so much for all that you do please tell folks how they can continue to follow all the work that you do including uh your compilation of the events of january 6th of 2021 and the impact that it may or hopefully may not have on the Second Amendment movement. 
Thanks so much for inviting me. My website is 2ampatriot.com. And that's a number two. And yes. a.m. Because when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, what are you thinking about? The Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah. And what state it's in right now. All right. Yeah. Thank you again so much. We will definitely have you back on again soon. Thanks, Thanks. everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. You know, I, I'm upset right now. We all should be, honestly. We all should Why can't be. we just have an America where the law enforcement follows the rules and there's no cover-ups and there's none of this baloney? Why do we have to have this? Yeah. I mean, if there's danger and trouble out there, yeah, we want, we want people that can handle it and, and be right. on the scene. But if the people that are supposed to be quelling trouble are out there stirring it up right. and then somehow sort of entrapping and framing, yeah. you know, otherwise normal law-abiding, innocent American citizens. Oh, come on. There's gotta be better things to do with your, your career. And it's that. so easy to want to help. Yeah. You know, you think you're helping. Yeah. But really, they're just suckering you in to yeah. become a criminal. We really do have to wrap. Um, oh, sorry. But there's so much more we could say. And, I, you know, I, I personally feel like I know a couple of people in the, the Second Amendment world that uh, could easily fit that mold of somebody that's, you know, wearing two hats. Yeah. So, um, you know, always be guarding your guarding your thoughts and speaking wisely and using discernment um, as you interact with others. Even if you think you're in a safe place where nobody's listening, that just be smart, right? Um, you don't want anybody to be able to come back and say, well, so-and-so said on this date that they want to do this act right. of, of um, you know, this illegal act or this violent act. Um, we don't get to we don't get to speak carelessly. Um, it, it can only go wrong for you. So right. please always guard your mouth, right. your, your words. All right, we've got to go. If you uh, want to watch any of the videos that any of the interviews that we have uh, recorded with the subject matter experts that we've had on, go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, gunstreamer.com or the Ops Lens smartphone app. If you like to listen to the audio only version, cause you're out, you know, mowing the yard or having a long bike ride or something like that, go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, click the on demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content. And remember to pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, even the ones you don't like, right, Cheryl? <laughs> well done, I like that. We need that little do-do-do-do-do music in the back. Yes, absolutely. Until next time, please be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Bye-bye.